Hello, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury for National Preview Online. Welcome to another one of National Preview Online's podcasts. This is our newest offering for communicating with you, our listeners and readers. As you all know, but I will begin each show by reiterating for those of you who are new and just joining us. National Preview Online was started several years ago, nationalpreviewonline.com, actually. And the primary purpose was to offer conservative content for people who were looking for it, considering we felt that a lot of the institutions which had previously been very conservative uh, in the media, such as National Review, uh, Fox News, and, and other outlets, were starting to change. National Review has never quite been the same since the departure of William F. Buckley, its founder. Fox News, as Rupert Murdoch's sons become more involved in the daily decisions of the network, becomes less conservative. So uh, we felt that something more was needed. But we also realized that people are reading less and less and prefer to listen and watch more and more. So we do certain things on YouTube when we have short, quick bullet points to communicate. But the podcast is really where people can get a great deal of information in 2020. Uh, and who knows how much longer into the 21st century the podcast will remain dominant before something else displaces it. But right now, I find podcasts wonderful because you can actually go on these pod, uh, podcast aggregator apps. So if you're an iPhone user, the podcast native app is excellent. Uh, it's one of the primary directories that all the other podcast aggregator apps look to in order to find content. And you can pick podcasts that are designed to give you whatever sort of information you are seeking. So we realize now that podcasts are the way that we're going to do the majority of our communication uh, with our audience. What we may do is try and find a way to transcribe these things and, and print them or print related articles. But the bulk of what we're going to be doing are these podcasts. Okay, so I just wanted to start out with that. I wanted to pick up on a few things, uh, something I was talked about yesterday, but before we do that, I wanted to get to something else. It seems like there is a war going on against all of these journalists, male journalists, that work for Fox News. I mean, first we lost um, Bill O'Reilly, then we lost the other gentleman whose name escapes me for the moment who used to appear on The Five. And now it seems the latest victim is Ed Henry. Now, I thought Ed Henry was an excellent Fox News Network uh, correspondent. He had um, hosted one of their morning shows. He was a chief White House correspondent. But a former staffer by the name of Jennifer Eckhart is alleging that uh, Ed Henry raped her back in 2017 in a hotel in New York where Fox News hosts uh, keep uh, visiting employees. And further, she says in a separate incident that he sexually assaulted her on the office, on office property back in 2015. And this suit's been filed in federal court. Now let's get the timeline straight. Ms. Eckert was fired in June from Fox News, and she alleges in her complaint that the firing was retaliation after she complained to Human Resources about a toxic work environment at Fox News. Now, Fox News denies this. They deny her allegation that she was fired in retaliation for complaining. For his part, Mr. Henry's lawyer, Catherine Fody, 
said Monday, yesterday, that uh, Ms. Eckhart initiated this relationship and that it was consensual. Now, in this same suit, now I'm not quite sure how this works, but a woman named Kathy Aru, who made guest appearances on the network, uh, alleges that she was sexually harassed by several personalities at the network, including uh, Mr. Henry, Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson, Howard Kurtz, and contributor Gianno Caldwell. Now, when they say that she alleges it in the same complaint, I assume it's probably like some sort of supporting affidavit or statement um, attached to the complaint that Miss um, Eckert filed in federal court. I don't know that you can get the two suits together. I think there had to be separate causes of action, but I'm not the attorney. But the point is, now it looks like Sean Hannity, anybody who's doing a great job investigating the Russia hoax or uh, defending the president, they're getting taken. Tucker Carlson, now he's he's a sexual predator, supposedly. Howard Kurtz and Gianno Caldwell. So you take this stuff from where it comes. What I'd like to know is, these people work in the news business. They're knowledgeable. They have a greater knowledge of uh, probably legal matters and how these things work than the average person. If she was raped, as she says she was, in 2017, why did it take until 2020 for this issue to come to the fore? See, rape is a crime. It's not sexual harassment. See, sexual harassment is a civil matter. Uh, you, you get redressed through civil matters. I don't know that it's criminal to sexually harass someone. Uh, obviously, rape is criminal. But sexual harassment itself, uh, that's something people seek relief through the civil process for. But rape jumps off the page as criminal conduct. You're not obligated to go to human resources to complain about a rape. You go to the local police department, whatever law enforcement agency is responsible, has jurisdiction in that area. They investigate it. They think it's right. They make it. They make a um, case folder. They go to get a warrant. They arrest you, and that's it. That wasn't done here. wasn't done until three years later. In fact, there's still no criminal investigation that I'm aware of. Apparently, Fox News hired a law firm to investigate her allegation, and based on the results of that, they let Mr. Henry go, or he's on leave. So who knows what it's ultimately going to reveal itself. But it just seems very, very interesting to me that they use a shotgun approach. None of these anchors at any of these other networks seem to come under this, um, this sort of thumb. Uh, with the exception of Harvey Weinstein, you don't see many lefties getting accused. I mean, nobody at CNN rapes anybody, only the people at Fox. I mean, even that that steroid-headed, infused idiot, um, Cuomo, Chris Cuomo, the brother of uh, the other benighted fool, Governor Andrew Cuomo, uh, he goes out and steroid rages this Chris Cuomo, threatening a guy that, in the Hamptons who walked up to his property asking him why he wasn't wearing a mask after he knew he had COVID-19, and he wants to throw down with this 60-some-odd-year-old man. Uh, this guy doesn't, doesn't abuse women. He abuses everybody else, but I guess he just doesn't abuse women. Just a little food for thought, something very interesting. Okay, let's get to the real meat and potatoes of today's podcast. Yesterday, I touched on somewhat the case of Mark and Patricia McCluskey. Now, by now, I'm sure you know who these people are. This is the St. Louis couple who emerged from their home 
brandishing guns, Mr. McCluskey, an AR-15, uh, Mr. McCl uh, Mrs. McCluskey, a, a handgun, uh, and they were defending their home against a mob. Now, I made a couple of statements yesterday that were inaccurate. One of the statements I made was that there was a small crowd of 40 or 50 people. Actually, it was several hundred people. Now, what's interesting here is that the McCluskeys' home is in a gated community. And these are not public roadways. These are private streets. The minute you walk into that gate, you are automatically trespassing even before you get on a specific person's property because these are not public roadways. You've seen it here in New York or other places. You have a gated community. The city doesn't come in and plow your streets and keep them clean. The Housing Association does that. They do it for you because it's a private road. So you have no right to go on a private road. And there's been numerous photographs put up on the news that show these gates were kicked open. They weren't simply open, like the prosecutors are trying to say. They were forced open. Now, my question to most reasonable people here, whether you're pro-gun, anti-gun. Now, remember, this couple did not shoot anybody. They did not fire in the air. Uh, they didn't even point it at anybody specifically, as far as I can see in the limited video footage I saw. They just told them to cease and desist and get away from our home. Now, what were they supposed to do? Now, according to them, the protesters, this Black Lives Matter protest, they were on their way to the home of St. Louis Mayor Lita Krusen. Now, I don't know what her position is on all of this. She's been pretty silent. But uh, obviously, she doesn't think it's too safe in St. Louis because she's living in a gated community, right? The same gated community as the McCluskeys. Uh, and she's probably doing pretty well because the McCluskeys' home is valued at about a million dollars. Uh, so if the mayor is living there, uh, she's doing pretty well. And let's be honest, a million-dollar home is a nice home just about anywhere. But it's probably a lot nicer in St. Louis because I'm sure that real estate doesn't command the same value in St. Louis as it does uh, in New York. So a million-dollar home in New York is still a nice home, but million-dollar homes are not uncommon. Million-dollar homes in St. Louis, I would say, are probably something more extravagant. You'd never get, a point being, you'd never buy for a million dollars here in New York, which you can buy for a million dollars in St. Louis. They're getting a lot more house. In any event, this is a private road. You have several hundred people that say they're on their way to protest against uh, Mayor Krusen. But just as they are on their way protesting a lot of places in New York, while they're on their way, they'll just kick in the window of Tiffany's or whatever other uh, major designer store happens to be on Fifth Avenue and help themselves to a little bit of that shopping, do a little shopping as they're on their way to their protesting. Now, I'm sure they were going to do that to the McCluskey's home. So what is the recommended course of action? They're supposed to just sit there and let them do it, either assault them physically or just sit there and film on their cell phone and tell them, go ahead and take what you want and let the people go through their homes like a bunch of animals and pillaging and plundering along the way. No. There's a Second Amendment right here. Uh, there's a First Amendment right to speak and to protest, but not to rob. And that First Amendment right ended the minute they went through that gate, because now they're protesting on private property. So they've already committed a crime. They're trespassing. You want to do it on a public street? That's one thing. But they weren't doing it on a public street. They were doing it on a private street and on private property. The McCluskeys were totally within their rights to do what they did. However, 
This is not the opinion of St. Louis Circuit Attorney Kimberly Gardner, a Democrat. She said it's illegal to wave weapons in a threatening manner at those participating in nonviolent protests. Well, let's talk about this. First of all, not one of the statements that she made in her big press conference is true. It's not a nonviolent protest. They kicked open and broke down the gate. That's violence. It may not be violence aimed at an individual, but it's violence. It's forcefully entering someplace you have no legal right to be. So a crime was already committed in its infancy. And she's, while we are fortunate this situation did not escalate to deadly force, this type of conduct is unacceptable. Well, it's probably fortunate whenever a situation doesn't have to escalate to deadly force. But if it did, it would have been a lot less fortunate uh, for the robbers than it would have been for the McCluskeys because they're the ones that were protecting themselves. And who knows if they wouldn't have been overpowered. I mean, uh, a, a firearm may be a, a great defense against one or two people, but when you got several hundred people, you don't have that much ammunition. Uh, they probably would have been overwhelmed, beaten eventually. But this is all moot. It's not illegal to use a gun to protect yourself. And they didn't even use it in the true sense that they didn't discharge it. They had it there as implied force saying, go this far and go no further. Okay, but the chutzpah on this woman, she doesn't have any problem with the with the protesters violating the law and going on to private property and kicking down a gate. But she has a problem with two people who weren't bothering anyone, wanting to make sure that people didn't unlawfully enter their home and rob and and harm them. And then she has the chutzpah to say that she would be open to resolving the charges with a form of probation. That would mean no conviction for the McCluskeys if successfully completed. Well, it sounds like she already knows that she probably doesn't have the evidence. And we also have a statement made earlier this weekend um, from Governor Mike Parson of the state of Missouri, a Republican. And he said in a radio interview that he would pardon the McCluskeys if they were convicted. He said, by, any, by all means, I would. And I think that's exactly what would happen. So since he made that public statement before she announced these charges, it makes you wonder why she even went forward with it. But let's look into the old saying, follow the money, follow the money. Well, there's no money to follow, but let's look at the players. Let's look a little bit about Miss Kimberly Gardner. Now, Kimberly Gardner um, apparently grew up in St. Louis. She worked as an assistant prosecutor in the St. Louis circuit attorney's office prior to being elected. She ran against three Democratic opponents for her election runoff, and this was following the retirement of her predecessor, Jennifer Joyce. She ran on supposedly reform and rebuilding trust in the criminal justice system and reducing violent crime, right? Okay. Well, there's a couple of ways of reducing violent crime. You can either go after it assiduously and enforce the law, or you can just deny that it's happening. And that's apparently what the road that Gardner took. She also promised to increase diversity, bring in independent investigations of police use of force, worse to reduce, uh, work to reduce racial disparities and enhance gun control. Now, interestingly, Gardner's campaign accepted $190,750 from super PACs, funded in large part by, guess who? George Soros. Now, she takes office in January of 2017. She's the first African-American to head the circuit 
attorney's office. And under her tenure, it says, St. Louis has seen a significant increase in non-prosecuted felonies. Okay? In the year 2019, the police brought 7,000-plus felony cases to her, but only 1,600 and change were prosecuted by her office. Many were returned back to the police citing insufficient evidence. I seriously doubt that experienced police officers were able to make arrests and do investigations and decided that there was um, sufficient evidence when there, when there wasn't sufficient evidence. So I'm sure the cases were fine. And despite claims of sufficient evidence to prosecute by the police union, she still took that position. There was insufficient evidence. Now, there was a case where a police officer was charged with first-degree murder. It was the shooting of a man named Anthony Lamar Smith. Now, this case was originally filed by Miss Gardner's predecessor, Jennifer Joyce. Now, this had revolved around a chase. They supposedly observed this man using drugs. It was a chase. Uh, they finally was able to stop the car. But I'll give you the Reader's Digest version by ramming it. And they're trying to say that in the uh, tape, the uh, dashboard camera, you hear stop, you recommend it, we're going to kill this uh, MF, you, don't you know it, and so forth and so on. The car is stopped, and they approach the vehicle. They try and yell to him from an open window, and they see Smith moving around in the vehicle. He's moving around the vehicle. He's moving around the vehicle. They believe he's going for a gun. And the long and short is uh, Stockley uh, fired five times, and uh, Mr. Smith was ultimately killed. Now, when they searched the car, they did, in fact, find a revolver. Okay. Now, here's the funny part. Gardner, her office, tried to argue that the gun that they found was planted by Officer Stockley because they couldn't find Smith's DNA on it, even though the prosecution admits that the absence of DNA does not prove conclusively that Smith did not touch the gun. Now, you would expect, of course, Stockley's DNA to be on the gun uh, because he actually handled it and brought it into evidence. Now, I can give you many explanations why Smith's DNA might not be on it. Now, one, of course, is that maybe he didn't touch it, uh, or maybe it was planted, but there's evidence, I'm going to tell you in a few minutes, to support the fact that it, it was not planted, and I'll get to that. Suppose Smith knew he had this gun, and when it was given to him, he handled it with gloves. It's not uncommon for criminals, when they're shopping for a gun on the black market to handle a gun um, with rubber gloves. I know this from uh, my experience when I was working uh, in law enforcement that um, some criminals are suspicious that the gun they may be looking to buy might have been used in a homicide or other such shooting and so they don't want to have their their fingerprints or any, it's even before the days of DNA evidence, they don't want their fingerprints on the gun and implicate themselves in those cases they had nothing to do with. So there could be many reasons. He may have handled the gun in that fashion, and then when he put it in the car, it may have fallen between the seat, and he was struggling to find it because he was going to shoot at the police officers. He never actually could get his hand on it. So there's a lot of ways to explain why Smith's DNA uh, may not be on it. Now, Stockley was tried in St. Louis, but he opted for a bench trial, not a jury trial. And he went before a Judge Wilson, Judge Timothy Wilson. 
and Wilson acquitted him. Okay? Now, one of the reasons why he acquitted them is because he found it, he said he found it difficult to believe the gun was concealed and planted by Stockley, given that the entire incident was on video and Stockley was not wearing a jacket. You know, he was just wearing his normal uniform shirt. Um, the weather, weather was obviously probably more on the warm side, uh, so he didn't need a jacket. And therefore, his potential for hiding uh, an additional gun, where was he going to keep it? He was just walking around with an extra 38 caliber revolver to give it to whoever may need it. It was very, very unlikely. And so he, um, he acquitted. And before the case, the judge said he had ruled for both for and against police on his 28 years on the bench. And apparently, defense lawyers and prosecutors that were interviewed afterward by the Associated Press described him as just that, an objective and well-respected jurist. So my point being that Ms. Gardner is a quite left-of-center prosecutor. She's clearly one of those prosecutors that thinks it's more important to pursue the police than it is to pursue criminals, because she went after this cop, even though the evidence really wasn't there. So you have to wonder, what is her motivation here? What is her motivation in going after the McCluskeys? Now, since we can't seem to escape race, and people want to bring race into everything, for those of you who haven't seen Miss Gardner, um, I'm going to just be candid with you and say she's African-American. And this is part of a disturbing trend that we are seeing um, in officials who are elected to public office. They seem to be taking their predilections, their personal predilections with them, and are using their office as a vehicle for exacting revenge on entire classes of people, not just individuals, but classes of people. See, I submit to you that her decision to move forward with the prosecution of Officer Stockley was probably less based on Officer Stockley's conduct than the fact that Officer Stockley was a white police officer, and she relished any opportunity to get back at a white police officer. Similarly, the McCluskeys are white people, and they're white people of means. They ha apparently have money, they have guns, and they think that this is permissible to go after them. I've seen people commenting on this case, journalists who should know better, saying that this is an example of white privilege, that they think they can do this. The hell it's the example of white privilege. Let me tell you something. The McCluskeys got what they got because they're business people that worked hard and they deserve what they have. Nobody gave them a leg up. They didn't go out hunting Black Lives Matter protesters. These Black Lives Matter protesters crashed the front gate of a private community in which they pay a hell of a lot of money to live in to be free from crime and were going to do harm and do damage. And the McCluskeys exercised their lawful Second Amendment right to ensure that that wouldn't happen. There's nothing awry here. When we start getting uh, people using their positions to advance their personal agenda, now we have a serious problem. Look, I'm not saying that everyone doesn't carry a little bit of prejudice or predisposition to one point of view with them um, into their in their personal lives, but you can't let those things translate into your professional life. You may feel that this or that is wrong, 
But when you're charged with a position, you have to discharge your duties in accordance with the rules that govern the conduct for someone in that position. You can't let personal matters interfere. Now, you're really pushing the envelope if you think two people who step out in their front lawn to stop a mob from invading their home and are using legally registered firearms to do it, not shooting them, not pointing them, just telling them, get off because we got something for you. I don't see how anyone can have a problem with that. In fact, that's a great exercise in restraint, if anything. It's certainly not uh, an exercise in recklessness uh, or anything along those lines. It's an exercise in great restraint. And so I think that um, the passage of time is going to prove that the McCluskeys were right. And I think that Ms. Gardner is going to regret that she went down this road because I think a lot of attention should now be focused on this attorney, uh, Gardner. Apparently, she has reduced and removed the amounts of cash bond for minor nonviolent uh, offenses. She is expanding diversion and drug court programs, consulting with the Vera Institute of Justice on these issues, which is a left-wing organization. She is ending prosecutions of low-level marijuana possession and dismissing many cases. Uh, many cases. The circuit attorney's office is sharing a federal grant to work with the Midwest Innocence Project on wrongful convictions. This, this woman is a leftist, and she's going to use her office to advance leftist causes to the detriment of the community he ser she serves. When you're elected as a prosecuting attorney, inherent, intrinsic in the title of that position is that you're supposed to prosecute crimes. They don't hire you to non-prosecute crimes. Maybe that's something you should look up, uh, Attorney Gardner. Maybe it's something you missed or were absent from on the day they taught that in law school. For National Preview Online, I'm Jamie Dury. Thank you for joining us. Please subscribe. Hit that subscribe button. If there's things you want me to talk about, please feel free to email me at nationalpreviewonline at gmail.com, and we'll try and cover those, those topics. We're always going to try to cover pressing matters of the day and be as current as possible. Thank you for joining us, and we hope to see you again. Bye-bye.